Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders. All set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about a beef, a bust-up, a bit of bad blood between two hot-headed Greek Cypriots over little more than a few coins, which led to a brutal murder in broad daylight. Those who knew the two men claimed that they had seen nothing, but their strict code of silence was about to break. Murder Mile is researched using the original police files. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 112, Savas Dimitriadis and the Code of Silence. Today, I'm standing on Old Compton Street in Soho, W1. One street south of the bungled porn heist by rabid willy fiddler Richard Rhodes Henley. Two shops east of the arcade where Alfredo Somparelli got popped playing pinball. And right next door to the Union Club, where Charles Bertier gunned down a rival over an innocent little comment about his big arms. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Based at its edges, Old Compton Street is the cultural heart of Soho. A single street thankfully absent of the same old high street stores. Instead, we are blessed with something unique, diverse and authentic. Sadly, like so many places, Soho was sprinkled with the same attention-seeking tools, with their silly beards, little trilby hats and motorized scooters. All of which scream, Look at me, I have no personality. As they dodge a dance troupe shooting the next YouTube hit, a scrawny hipster reading Trendy Allergies magazine, and a dullard with a thimble-sized laptop who claims to be a writer. They even have a website, so it must be true. But the only thing they've ever written is a Twitter post stating, I'm writing my novel. Setting aside the awful gentrification which has ripped the guts out of Soho, what makes Old Compton Street so special is that it's a place where many nationalities have settled down, set up shop, and served up a little slice of their old life with their new. With little enclaves of culture on every street corner, whether delicatessens, patisseries, coffee shops, or pizza parlors. In 1943, Savas Dimitriadis and Christos Giorgio, two Greek Cypriots who owned a cafe in the Welsh city of Cardiff, were frequent visitors to Soho for a coffee, a game of cards, and some good conversation with their fellow countrymen. As with so many immigrants, the Cypriots kept to themselves, sorted out any problems within, and if needed, they protected their own with a refusal to trust the police. But their loyalty would be sorely tested when in broad daylight, on a bustling pavement, 
outside of the busy Helvetia pub at 23 Old Compton Street. These two best buddies and recent rivals ended a very bitter feud. And the eyewitnesses to this crime felt obliged to claim that they had seen nothing. As it was here, on Monday the 25th of October 1943, that the very public stabbing of Savas would prove to be so petty that the code of silence in Soho's Greek Cypriot community would collapse. Some people kill for love, country, revenge or survival. And yet, others kill for causes so trivial, it makes you wonder why they even bothered. Savas and Christos were as close to being brothers as any brothers could be without being brothers. Born two years apart on the Mediterranean island of Cyprus, growing up in the capital city of Nicosia in the years preceding the First World War, daily life was hard, owing to its isolated position, religious infighting, and made worse by this former Greek colony being under the British boot. To the British, Cyprus was nothing but a strategic naval outpost overlooking the Suez Canal. Its people were invisible, their lives were worthless, and the land was traded as a little trinket between the Greeks and the Turks. As little boys raised during the First World War, the childhoods of Savas and Christos were short. Food was scarce, clothes were ragged, and death was frequent. Being gripped by rationing, even law-abiding citizens would dabble in the depths of small-time criminality simply to survive by buying even the most basic of necessities on the black market. Regarded as petty thieves by their British occupiers, their daily lives were ruled not by the military or even their own police, but by the British police. Therefore, it's unsurprising that many Cypriots developed a mistrust and a code of silence was formed. Raised in abject poverty, Savas and Christos naturally had a thirst for wealth, fine foods and sharp suits. And as in every family, the two boys squabbled over increasingly trivial matters. But they always stuck together through thick and thin. Savas Christos Dimitriadis was born in 1909, two years after Christos. As the youngest of the two, Savas was blessed with the patience and wisdom of an older man. He was frugal, astute, and although he loved the thrill of gambling on cards, dogs, horses and dice, he was a sensible spender who would happily blow a bundle on a long shot in the hope of a big payoff. But he always knew his limits. In relationships, Savas was a calm and loving man for whom family was an unbreakable bond. By 1927, as Cyprus had become a British colony, being granted his citizenship and keen to seek a better life overseas, Savas joined the Merchant Navy alongside his best friend, Christos. Being three inches shorter, four stone heavier, and two years older, Christos Giorgio was more akin to a baby brother, both physically and mentally. As a businessman, he disliked work, but loved money. As a gambler, he took big risks, which rarely paid off. As a lover, he dated many of Savas's exes and flirted with any potential squeeze. And whereas Savas had several bank accounts for his legitimate purchases and a strong box under the floorboards for those which weren't, Christos never saved a penny. Instead, he would seek out his next potential investment in the sports pages of his local rag. And although both men 
were hot-headed Cypriots prone to fiery outbursts. Whether Savas would fume and then forgive, Christos would bubble and erupt. For several years, the two men served side by side as cooks on several ships in the merchant navy. In the early 1930s, as naturalized British citizens, they moved to Southampton, London, and then to the Welsh city of Cardiff, all of which had a large Cypriot community, and this became their new home. In 1939, Savas and Christos decided to go into business together. They invested £150 each, put their skills to good use, and by infusing the standard British fare of cups of tea and fry-ups with a slice of their Cypriot upbringing, they opened the British and Continental Café at 19 Caroline Street in Cardiff. During the day, it was a cheap eatery for families. But by night, with the blinds down and the doors locked, it was a gambling den for card sharks like Christos. Desperate to beat his best friend, who was also his bitter rival, in the gambling den, Christos used loaded dice, a rigged deck, and every underhanded trick to win. And so, a deeper mistrust began to creep in. Being as different as they were similar, with two hot-headed men working side by side in the heat of the scorching kitchen, naturally tempers flared. So for a while, although their little cafe proved to be a minor success, trivial little matters had already caused it to start to slide. Seeing the cafe less as a business and more as a place for any pal of Christos to hang out, Savas rightfully resented these bums who ponced his free food and ate up his profits. So as it tumbled from being a charming little family cafe to a doss hole for deadbeats, very quickly, the regular customers stopped coming. It all seemed so obvious where the problems lay. But being so hot-headed, both men struggled to simply say, I'm sorry. And even over such trivial matters, they both harbored a grudge. Especially when Savas started to date a young lady known only as Peggy, and Christos would flirt with her too. As best friends, who were as close as any brothers, their relationship fractured, their cafe bled money, and as even the smallest issues spiraled into petty violence, three incidents would split them apart. On the evening of the 23rd of March, 1943, feeling rightfully cheated, having lost a sizable sum owing to Christos's marked cards and wonky dice, an unidentified gambler cursed Christos as a dirty Greek rat and sliced open his nose with a flung cup. Seething, blooded and unwilling to back down from a petty slight, pulling a stiletto blade from his boot, Christos slashed back. And as the den erupted into all-out war, tables were tipped, bottles were hurled, and the white walls were redecorated with splashes of red. During the melee, as the level-headed Savas tried to hold back his rabid partner, Christos bit him, which left a trail of blood to the sink, and his right hand with a very visible scar for the rest of his life. Within minutes, the police had a wealth of evidence. But with every witness held by a code of silence, no one was convicted. On the 12th of April 1943, just three weeks later, Christos was at it again. The place was a rival gambling den called the Anchor Cafe in Hayes Bridge. His targets were a croupier called Chris and a gambler known only as Australian Joe. The reason once again was petty. And armed with a broken table leg, he left six men bleeding and one man hospitalized 
for a week. Twelve arrests were made, but with the witnesses silent, no one was convicted. And again, Christos was bailed out by Savas. But this wasn't the proverbial straw which broke the camel's back. In late April 1943, roughly two weeks later, Christos, who would rarely pull his weight, who had let his pals pitch the cafe into debt, and who had frequently been bailed out by Savas, whose own personal savings now propped up the business, said that he had seen Savas pocket some money from the cafe's till. Savas denied it. Christos was adamant. But by May, their partnership was dissolved. Six months later, Savas Dimitriadis was dead over a matter of just one pound and fifteen shillings, which today doesn't even amount to fifty quid. On Sunday, the twenty-fourth of October, nineteen forty-three, one day before his death, Savas caught the ten thirty a.m. train from Cardiff to Paddington, and hopped in a cab to Soho. As a familiar face in its betting shops, patisseries, and coffee bars, to Savas, Soho was like a second home, and his visits here were frequent and welcome. Since their partnership had dissolved, for an astute investor like Savas, business had been good. The cafe was in profit, the gambling den was civilized, the police surveillance had ceased. And he was here to collect a two-hundred-pound winning from a one-pound bet. That's the equivalent of six thousand pounds today, that he'd won off a dog he hadn't even seen. Looking sharp in his black-tailed suit, mirror-shined shoes, and starched white shirt, although he carried a bank book with a balance in today's money of forty thousand pounds, with eleven and a half thousand pounds in his bag. Two gold lighters in his pockets, and a twenty-four-carat ring on his finger with a diamond big enough to cause blindness. He knew that no one would mug him, as he was connected and respected. But being a cultural melting pot, as not everyone in Soho was a Cypriot, Savas left the bulk of his cash with Christakos Dikamidis, an old pal known as Kiki. Who owned the Blue Water Cafe at 18 St Giles High Street? And being like a brother, he knew that he could trust him with his money and his life. Unlike Christos. At 5 p.m., he left the Blue Water Cafe. At 7 p.m., he met a cousin called Harry at the College Cafe on Gower Street, where they drank tea and discussed dog racing. And at 8 p.m., they met a buddy called Nikola Kostas, headed to a Greek tavern on Rathbone Place, and ate heartily from the foods of their homelands. So, needing a strong coffee and a few games of cards to see them through to the wee small hours, they headed to a cafe called Nico's at 42 Dean Street. As he casually strolled in. Suddenly, it was as if all of the air had been sucked out, as the room fell silent and cold. Like the British and Continental Cafe, Nico's was a legal family eatery by day, but an illicit gambling den by night, where cards were played, items were fenced, money was made, and no questions were asked. Full of Europe's more hot-headed patrons, tempers flared. And fights were frequent, as no one liked to lose face. Only now, everyone's eyes were fixed on two men, who hadn't uttered a single word together in the last six months. And now, they were standing eye to eye. As a tight-knit community, everyone knew about the rift, the breakup, and the cafe. They even knew about the one pound and fifteen shillings. Which Savas had supposedly stolen from the till, according to Christos. 
but for the short, dumpy, and mustachioed Christos, whose puffy pale face was profusely sweating, and whose trembling hand was creeping nearer the blade in his boot. This was a matter of pride. Only for Savas, it wasn't. He was a businessman, a family man, and a loyal friend. Not a two-bit hood. So bellowing, Christos, my friend, across the room, scooping up his old pal in his big arms, wrapping him in a bear hug, and kissing both cheeks. For Savas, family was family, and all was forgotten. That night, the two men laughed like they did in the good old days. With the cards out, Christos on the beer, and Savas supping a lemonade, as he liked to keep sharp when money was at stake. The two men chatted about their ex-girlfriend Peggy, and mutually agreed to split the cost of her bail to get her out of prison. And as this calm and pleasant night rolled into the early hours, at 4am, they all headed home to their beds. At 10am, as promised, Savas, Harry and Nicola met at Nico's cafe. But Christos didn't show. Each man put in £300 for Peggy's bail. But with Christos missing, the pile was short. So as always, Savas covered his debt. But he knew that Christos couldn't be trusted. Christos stumbled out of bed just shy of noon. Too late to be of any use, too hungover to care, and with his wallet suspiciously light, Christos headed out to the pub to grumble about his misfortune, but mostly to fume about Savas. Savas and his suits, Savas and his gold, Savas and his money. Spitting venomous curses like, He's take from me, he cheat me, we like brothers and never once hearing the irony in his paranoid fuming, as he angrily shuffled into a pub to sink a few pints. Having got so staggeringly drunk that he could hardly stand up straight, at 3.20pm, as the seething wreck shuffled out of the coach and horses on Greek Street, still furious over that £1.15 that... Uh, I know he stole. Christos headed north of Dean Street, towards Old Compton Street, with a blade in his boot. The paths were bustling, the shops were buzzing, and it was broad daylight when Savas Dimitriadis and his friend Christos Costas headed south down Dean Street and entered Old Compton Street. This should have been a simple case for the police to solve. But with every investigation, being reliant on eyewitnesses, and with a deep mistrust of the British authorities among the Greek Cypriots. As the strict code of silence crept in, suddenly, the eyewitnesses turned blind, deaf, and mute. The murder itself was self-explanatory. As outside of the Helvetia pub at 23 Old Compton Street, Seeing Savas, Christos punched his bitter rival in the back. A scuffle ensued with fists and feet flying. Pulling his blade, Christos stabbed Savas once in the chest. Both men fell, and Savas was stabbed two more times. And as the blood-spattered man stumbled east towards Charing Cross Road, at the busy intersection, Christos hailed a taxi and fled. And that was it. But very few eyewitnesses could recall those simple details. Within minutes, PC George Newman arrived at the scene, where he saw a large crowd congregated around Dr. Calvin Lambert, a passing doctor who was attending to the profusely bleeding man. As a lone constable, 
He tried to make sense of it all and to preserve the crime scene as best he could. Many witnesses walked away. Many were unsure what they'd seen. And many stated, I don't recall. I was looking the other way. I didn't see it. I don't remember. Or gave a very vague description. Even Christos Costas, who had dined with both men the night before, claimed, I've never seen that man before. And even as Savas lay dying, with a punctured stomach, three broken ribs, a collapsed right lung, and his left lung failing, he used one of his last breaths to protect his fellow Cypriot, his brother, and his friend. Savas Dimitriadis was rushed to Charinquas Hospital, but owing to chronic blood loss, he died on arrival. The investigation struggled to find the assailant, as although the police had secured several witnesses to the attack, their memories were proved to be flaky, vague, or mysteriously absent, especially for those who had families, homes, livelihoods, and a selfish desire to keep breathing. A US soldier called Private Hornastra saw Savas but not his attacker. Martha Zura, a waitress at Brown's Hotel, saw most of it, but only from behind. Ellen Bennett, a receptionist at the Queensbury, saw everything, except she was three stories up. And a milkman called Alwyn Childs, who saw the whole incident and gave a full and detailed description even down to the fact that the attacker was so drunk he had stabbed himself in the left leg. But when they were all called in to attend a police identification parade, with Christos in the lineup, the soldier was absent, the waitress's testimony was dismissed, the receptionist couldn't identify the man at all, and the milkman, who served many of the Greek separate businesses in and around Soho, flatly refused to walk down the line of suspects as he nervously stated, No, he's definitely not here. He's definitely not here. As for evidence, the knife was lost, the taxi was never found, and the blood stains on the street were quickly washed away. And there, the murder investigation came to a close. Or at least, it should have done. But a code of silence in a tight-knit community requires a level of honour for those to respect it. Being a businessman, Savas was a good, decent and loyal man who treated every Greek Cypriot as his own. As to him, family was family. Whereas Christos was a reckless gambler and an angry drunk, who left debts all over town and had spilled blood over the petty sum of just one pound and 15 shillings. All it took was for one person to say his name, it was Christos, and the whole code collapsed. And although the police had no viable eyewitnesses, that became a moot point as Christos gave a full confession. Christos Giorgio was tried at the Old Bailey on the 10th of December 1943, at which he pleaded not guilty. But having deliberated for 55 minutes, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, and he was sentenced to death. As Christos left the dock, the 36-year-old gambler wept, as he had during confession, stating of Savas, I don't know why I did it. He was so good to me. My friend, my brother. On the 2nd of February 1944, with his appeal dismissed, he was executed by hanging at Penderville Prison. And in his final days alive, not one single friend from his close-knit community paid him a visit. So many people attended the funeral for Savas that the service was standing room only. 
but having shamefully killed, in broad daylight, for a few coins. The friends of Christos Giorgio refused to take the short trip to see him in prison. As to them, his life wasn't even worth the price of a bus ticket. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. Up next, we have some extra info about this case. There's a little quiz and a chat about tea and cake, as well as some usual pointless waffle. It's not compulsory, so feel free to switch off now. But if you haven't, pop on the kettle and join me for a cuppa. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporter, who is Kevin Price. I thank you very much. As well as a thank you to two very kind people who have donated to keep Murder Mile alive. They are Tracy the Cat Lady, who donated via supporter, and Anne-Marie Griffin, who supported via the Murder Mile eShop. I thank both of you hugely. As well as a thank you to everyone who continues to listen to the show. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Too bad. That was okay. That was okay. That was okay. <sighs> Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Extra mile time. Oh, stretch. Oh, early start. Early start. New part of town. It's wet outside. I wanted to get. I wanted to start recording before the rain kicks in. Uh, and the path next to me is really soggy. So when bikes go past, you can hear, and you can hear people going splosh, 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 splosh. So I tried to get up and get it done before everyone comes out. And weirdly, people seem to be not going to work today. I don't know why. Anyway, uh, welcome to the Extra Mile. Uh, if you're new to this, this is the unedited bit, unscripted, blah, 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 etc. Uh, I make uh, a cup of tea uh, and I talk to you about stuff that's in the episode, etc., etc., etc. I'm going to put my tea on quickly. Things may go a little bit quiet because uh, I've got my things may go a bit quiet because uh, I've got everything facing the, a different way today to make the sound better so you can hear it in the, the podcast so you may not hear me making a cup of tea uh, hang on oh, oh I've run out of water poo didn't prep that well right hang on hang on so, just getting my water almost done. Right. Curtains open. Curtains open, window open. Get some fresh air. Right, good. Oh, I've got to, to make it, to, I'm trying to get the sound better and better each time. So, uh, I'm not standing up anymore, as mentioned. I'm sitting down because I realised I can put cushions around me and make a big protective thing. And then I've got curtains behind me, which have got my pillows in the curtains to make it, 
better and then I've got a big blanket over my head uh, and then a kind of a, a sound box around the microphone so everything's and some sponges on top some household sponges so I'm trying to dampen everything to and I think it makes the sound better it sounds a lot better I'm nearer the microphone now I'm right microphone's only a couple of inches away now but it's it's better you can't hear me go <gasps> as much as it used to be before so it's easier to edit now which is better it's much better for me so right t's on that's happening uh this case interesting one uh i'll mention about this this, this is one of those cases that uh, i i read about about a year ago i think i researched it a year ago or two years ago and i couldn't i couldn't work out how to tell it because it's a really there's not a lot of information out there except the police files the stuff that's on the on on tinternet is inaccurate uh people seem to have cobbled it together from uh the tabloid newspapers it's not particularly good uh and it's a bit light anyway so i grabbed the original files but the original files are really confusing because everyone's lying in it uh and i sat there and i was like it's it's a huge file i was like oh i didn't know how to tell this story and then which is why I've waited so long. It's taken me this long to work out how to tell it. And you're probably thinking, oh, it didn't sound like a difficult story. But don't forget, this take me a year to edit it down and to make it easy for you to understand. So I've I've tried to make it as simple as possible. But in the original one, it's really complicated. Because everyone's like, I was there. No, I was over there. No, I was with him. He wasn't there. And it's just like, who's with who? And it took me a year to really filter it down to work out who was where at what time and what's possible and what's impossible and... Whoa, just to, uh, and then with the code of silence made it really difficult so that's what so i've tried to make it a really simple story but it's taken bloody ages to to wheedle it down to a simple simple story rather than telling you the big behemoth that it was Whoa. anyway um what's happening tea's on the go having a nice cup of tetley tea uh i have got a donut oh i went to wenzel's yesterday to pick up some uh, a cake i ate my belgian bun which didn't have a cherry on it she did warn me she said it's the last one that's got no cherry on it and i was like what the hell i'll still have it oh, no cherry though it's kind of spoiled it and then i picked up some nice donuts and big fat fat squishy donuts and i said i'll have two and she said we've got a deal on them if you buy four and i was like oh you nasty woman you know i'm gonna eat all four so i had i just had all two I, well, I had one last night i'm gonna have one now mm, yum uh what else is going on um moved the boat again because you have to every two weeks and i'm uh, i'm not at the back of that industrial estate which was nice last time it was like beep 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 and every day some guy would pull up and uh get out of his van and go all right mate all right mate and he'd always be playing some shit music like it's like oh it's hard to record anything when i was there so I'm here, and it's a little bit quieter here. It's not too bad. What's, what else was going on? Uh, Metabot last weekend with the original Police Constable Arsenal Guinness on the Metropolitan Plot, which is very nice. We did a very safe and very socially distanced uh, wee bit of drinking, which was very nice. Just a wee bit of drinking. Just one pint, I think. One. I don't. I might have had two. Maybe two. Maybe. Uh, maybe three. Can't remember. Uh, so that was good. It's good. Good. Good to see you again, old friend. It's been too long, uh, and everyone will be delighted to know. I think I posted a picture online, so you can briefly see the real police constable Arsenal Guinness. He wasn't drinking Guinness that night because we were in a pub that doesn't serve Guinness. I know he can survive without Guinness, um, but uh, it was good. We had a good old chat and. Uh, many moons ago, I raised an idea with him, uh, a little project called New Blue. Uh, and I think because he, he was new, a new policeman at the time, I thought it would be a nice idea, but he, I think he was a little bit nervous about doing it because he was new to the, his job. But now he's been there a good long while. He's, you know, he's enjoying it. Um, he he's came back and said, I'd love to do that. So next year, as part of Murder Mile... Uh, as you know, I try to do gear changes every so often. I give you a bit of a, a meander mile, and sometimes I give you... Uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. It's called mini mile and stuff like that. Uh, and I kind of change it up sometimes, and I do how not to how, not, how to get away with murder. We're going we're gonna to throw in next year, we're going to throw in a new blue, which will be coming, which will, again will be something different as well. But um, I'm going to come up with uh, some uh, what we're going to talk about, and uh, I think it will go really nicely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, tease up. Oh, I didn't put my tea bag in. Oh, no tea bag. 
Hang on, hang on, get in there, teabag in. Uh, I could do, I could do with someone to make me a tea for me. Maybe Eva could do it, but um, Eva's, Eva's lazy. Eva wouldn't make me a cup of tea. She insists that I make her a cup of tea. So uh, that goes in there. Let that stew for a bit. Managed to grab me donut. Mm, yeah, it's in its little bag. It's gone a bit sweaty. That's fine. So that'll be good. So we'll be doing new blue sometime next year. So looking forward to that. Uh, a big thank you to Captain Jeff. Thank you very much, Captain Jeff. Um, uh, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness very kindly popped off the A to Z of London murders uh, that you gave him to give to, to give to me. So that's very kind of you. I've got that right next to me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Captain Jeff is a, a fellow beardy ships captain just just like myself so thank you very much jeff that's incredibly kind of you uh what else is going on it's all all just busy at the moment keeping busy uh grand's funeral uh coming up on monday so when you listen to this that will have already happened but slightly nerve-wracking because we thought we thought scotland was going into lockdown which is terrifying enough mum mum passed away during the start of the first pandemic and her funeral was during lockdown Grand passed away at the start of the second wave, and we thought Scotland was going to go into lockdown. Oh, so not that they're awkward with <laughs> awkward people, but uh, I'm sure they didn't plan it that way. Anyway, so we got that on Monday. That will have happened by the time you get this episode. Uh, so we're going to keep it small because of because of COVID. It's just going to be it's just me and my brother at that one. So um, and then hopefully a, a celebration with the rest of the family of their lives uh, when you know all this is put to bed and we can all celebrate properly but um yep so that's next week it's been a stressful decade i'm gonna say that i know people have said it's a stressful year it's for us it's been a stressful decade uh but that's all done now so hopefully next year will be better right questions let's do some questions uh question number don't forget i might balls up these questions because i'm going to give some information about the episode next so i might balls up question one what was Savas's middle name? Question one. What was Savas's middle name? Bike squeaking outside. Question two. What was Christos's middle name? Mm. The first question, what was Savas's middle name? Second question, what was Christos's middle name? Mm, were you listening? Ooh. Question three. What jobs did both men do in the merchant navy? Nice, easy one, that one. Even if you don't remember, take a guess. It's an easy one. Question four. Uh, which city in Cyprus uh, did they both come from? We've had someone in, in Murdamal who came from the same city before, and I can't remember which episode it was. It'll come to me. Uh, question five. Uh, which three... I think it was Tony Mellor. I think it might have been Tony Mellor, I think. Uh, question five. Which three places did they both live in Britain? Britain. Britain. Which three places did they both live in Britain? So that's that will be uh, cities. Question six. Who was the policeman who, who was first to attend the scene when Savas was stabbed? It wasn't Police Constable Arsenal Guinness, although this is right next to some pubs, so uh, he could have been. Actually, we 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 were in the Coach and Horses on Greek Street where we met, which is where uh, some of this action takes place. And the Coach and Horses hasn't changed at all. Uh, and even though even though uh, our Fullers have taken it over, they haven't changed it too much, which we're quite happy about. It's still the same, and they, they even fixed the toilets. They fixed the toilets. I know, amazing. <laughs> so, so I, I originally when uh, Fullers took it over, I was going to boycott the pub, but I went in the other day, and actually, new management are very good. It's very nice. Their COVID policy is quite good. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I shall keep frequenting the pub. Uh, question seven. Uh, what gold items did Savas have on him when he was murdered? So there's two, actually it's technically three gold items. What what gold items did Savas have on him when he was murdered? Uh, question eight. What was the name of the girlfriend that they both shared? That sounds weird. That sounds rude. Not at the same time, obviously. They both had uh, the same girlfriend. What was her name? That's better phrased. 
Question nine. Formerly known as the Helvetia pub on Old Compton Street, what is it called today? Do you know what? I don't think I put that in the episode. I don't think that's in the episode. I think I might have edited I might have done the question and then edited that out. That's fine. I'll tell you about that in a second. Question. <laughs> if you know it, fine. Answer the question. Question 10. Which gangster was shot playing pinball not far from this location? So that's the questions. That's those. That's good. Uh, a, couple of t- a couple of tea is stewing. Let's see how it's doing. Not bad. Uh, uh, oh, bollocks. Get out. They should make tea bags. That are, they should make tea bags that are tea that are teaspoon sized because they don't seem to fit in the cup uh right okay uh let's do some details about the case so just before the murder obviously the d- night before the murder on the 24th of october savas uh left cardiff made his way to paddington and then he came to see his, his pal christakos kiki dikamides who is the owner of the blue water cafe at 18 giles high street that location is immediately opposite the angel public house which is still there today, and St. G- uh, St. Giles in the Fields Church, which you will remember from last week's episode, because that's where uh, Hannah Brown and James Greenacre were meant to get married but didn't. Uh, that location now uh, used to be the in- Intrepid Fox, not the one on Wardour Street. There was another one on St. Giles High Street, but that was demolished, and now is the home of Google Maps, or the London version of Google Maps anyway. And if you go onto Google Maps and have a look at that, you can see all of the staff of Google Maps standing standing around that corner waving as the little van goes past. Uh, what else is there? So, yeah, Savas left some things when he was there. He wasn't staying there. It was just a, a kind of a mate who he knew. Apparently, he knew Kiki from when he was a kid as well. Uh, and he left there a dressing case, a shirt, some collars, a, pa- a pair of socks. Uh, but he was staying at a mate's that night. Uh, on his person at the time, he had 27 £5 notes, uh, five £1 notes, one Scottish £5 note. Oh, people people in London, in shops, love Scottish pound notes. That's one thing, unfortunately, I'm never going to, I'm probably never going to have again, which is every Christmas, my grand would always, like, grand, she'd always give us, like, a £5 note, and it would always be a Scottish pound note. And the problem is, it's like, if you're in Scotland, it's fine, but when you come down to England, and, and there's a lot of people in uh, in London who are from overseas, so they used to they used to English notes, but when they see a Scottish note, it freaks them out, and they're like, "What the hell is this?" Because it, it, it and it's like you have to point to it. You go, "Look, legal tender. It's it's British," and they go, oh, "No, it's not real." It's like, "No, it's Scottish, but it's fine. You can spend it here." And it's like, yeah, they have to go and get someone, and oh, it's so confusing. Oh, that will never happen again. <laughs> uh, uh, he also had ten, uh, two lots of ten dollars on him. Uh, 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 for one dollars, uh, he seems to have a lot of different currents on him, as well as shilling, shillings and pence. He had a checkbook with nine blank checks in it. Uh, his pack passbook for Barclays Bank, uh, a Yale key to somewhere, but it doesn't say where. It definitely wasn't to the cafe because he'd left that in the hands of Vera, who was a lady, uh, Vera Constakis, who was a, another lady that he trusted, and she was basically running the cafe. Uh, as well as um, the things that I won't mention that he had on him, which were gold. Oh, look, I'm doing well. As well as a comb and a black leather wallet. Um, they visited lots of different locations, visited lots of different people. This is why I've really tried to streamline the story as well. They headed off to the College Cafe over on Gara Street, 152 Gara Street, which was owned by Haralambos Harry Christianu. That's why I've called him Harry, because everyone calls him Harry. Uh, apparently, they were uh, distant relatives. I won't go into all the details about where they went and what they did and who they visited, because it's really bloody confusing. But let's try and dig in a little more into... Um, mentioned in there about their, their girlfriend, inverted commas, Peggy. This is a real problem. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I didn't do the case, because I knew that there was a lot more to this story than just the £1.15 shillings. I knew that a lot of this was to do with Peggy. Uh, the problem is... Um, that that part of the case file is is held under wraps for I can't remember how long it is I've got it written in here somewhere 
But it's it's held under wraps for at least another... Oh, uh, 2043 it's held. So someone has obviously gone to court and had all of these sections removed and any reference to Peggy... Oh, well, any reference to who Peggy is has gone. So Peggy is always in inverted commas. So she... Likelihood she's probably uh, Greek Cypriot. Her pr- name probably isn't Peggy, but it probably sounds a little bit like Peggy. Uh, and what, and she's the girlfriend of both of them. Uh, she seems to have a little bit of a problem uh, to do with someone called Alessandro, which is believed to be her son. And she needs at least a thousand pounds in 1943 currency to be bailed out of custody. Uh, but it's never explained why. So the connection between those two is a lot bigger in the story. There's a lot of elements in the story where it's mentioned, but I've deliberately stripped that out because the problem is I don't know what it's about, so I can't really tell you what it's about. It would just confuse the story, so I've removed all those, but just briefly mentioned Peggy, but Peggy plays a big part. Unfortunately, we won't know what really has happened between them and Peggy until 2043, and then even then someone could probably go back to court and have that taken away again so uh we don't know that that's people's legal rights if you've uh if you're involved in a uh a criminal dispute or something like that you can go to court and say even because the if the files are going to be released you can go back and say look i'm third party blah, blah, blah. I, I i need this removed and the judge can, if if the judge judge deems it acceptable he can go yep i will do that Whoa, uh, what else have we got? Uh, obviously, the street was really busy at the time. There were lots of people out there. Um, Savas was, uh, at that point, the reason why he was going through the street at the time is he was still trying to find the uh, the guy who he won the bet off uh, for the dog, the dog racing. Do you know, he won the um, the £200 bet. Uh, so he, the guy lived on New Compton Street, which is a, a street, obviously, over the other side of Old Compton Street. He was still trying to find him uh, to claim that money back, uh, which is a hell of a lot of money then. Uh, uh, as mentioned, so the... Uh, just getting to the murder... Hang on, yeah. Uh, post-mortem. Post-mortem was conducted by uh, Sir Bernard Spilsbury, as it always does. Um... He said that Savas had blood on his hands, uh, his abdominal wall and right thigh had been stabbed. These are only kind of uh, um, light stabs. They weren't quite heavy. He'd got uh, fourth and fifth ribs were broken. Uh, The stabs were five inches deep. It was a six-inch blade. Uh, He'd got two in his chest, one in his back. He'd got a collapsed right lung and a partial collapse of his left lung. As always with Savas, there was no alcohol in his system. Um... Uh, what else was there? Yeah, there was descriptions by the people who gave it. So, as mentioned, there was a lot of people who just disappeared. They vanished into thin air. And we, they, you know, uh, they would have seen it, but they weren't there. The streets were really busy. The shops were full. And the police really struggled to find any kind of information from these people, even though a lot of people in that community weren't Greek Cypriot. Because, obviously, there's a little bit of a criminal element going there. A lot of people who have businesses in the area and probably are supplied as with the the milkman as mentioned obviously wouldn't want to cause any trouble there so it's better for them it's probably better just to keep quiet and say i didn't see anything than to go to court and say oh that was definitely the person and then and then you risk having your your shop smashed up so uh yeah there's a little bit of terror there from people um uh ellen bennett bennett as mentioned the receptionist of the queensbury and her assistant uh saw from the third floor window the fight happening uh savas was lying on the floor he was kicking out with his feet and fists another man was over him punching and looking like he was trying to steal something from him uh although that could have just been him stabbing he states that savas uh uh uh, states that uh, sorry, Christos tried to uh, hail a passing cab, but the cab, originally seeing him covered in blood, refused to stop. Um, he did actually get a cab in the end. Uh, uh, Savas's blood was free flowing from his back and chest, and it's obviously going down the pavement and stuff like that. There's a lot of blood because uh, don't forget they got um, some major uh, veins and they got both lungs as well. So uh, yeah. Oh, what else do we have? What else do we have? Let's have a look at the, the milkman. This was kind of interesting. So Alwyn Childs, a milkman employed 
Uh, his father was his, his boss, but he was kind of uh, the, the guy who saw it. He was, apparently, he was only young at the time. He says he saw three men quarrelling outside the Queensbury All Service Club. So that's also the place where the, the, the receptionist saw. Um, uh, and that you said it was just before about 3.30pm. Um, a lot of people said there was three people there. Some people say there was four people there, but a lot of people don't seem to mention uh, Christos Costas, who was the, the, uh, the guy who was walking down the street with Savas at the time. Apparently there was another guy with him as well. Uh, this, is why, this is why I've had to really strip down this this case file to try and make it simple for you because it's so confusing he said that uh, a fight commenced uh, a third man tried to step in which we reckon is uh, Christos Costas Uh, they exchanged blows Uh, Christos Costas tried to split them apart Um, uh, whilst uh, he was trying to keep Christos Giorgio away um and then he said that uh, uh, Christos broke free, rushed up behind him, um, smacked him in the back of the back of the right shoulder, uh, and then started stabbing him. Uh, so everyone seems to have different impressions of what happened, what didn't happen. Um, as mentioned, Alwyn gave a very good description of what happened at the time. Uh, he couldn't identify who uh, Christos Giorgio was, but he was able to give a very good description and said that he uh, kind of dis- disappeared down towards Charing Cross Road. And people were shouting, stop him, call the police, blah, 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 blah. He fled in a taxi and the taxi driver was never found. But he gave a very good description. He said He said the guy was roughly 30 years old, Five or six inches tall, which is almost about right. Dark hair and a complexion. Heavily built, 150 pounds. Round face, dark suit and a, a, a tight little moustache. Um, but this is where things go a little bit odd. So let's go down. So, uh, where did I put this? Oh, I haven't put it in. I must have taken it out. Uh, oh, I prayed. So, yeah, they did the ID parade, as mentioned, at the Marlborough Street Police Court at about 10.30am on the 10th of November 1942. I've changed the order in the story because otherwise it doesn't make sense, but I kept the dates right. Uh, um, as mentioned, they had all the witnesses turned up. You got the, you got the soldier. Obviously, he, was, he had to go back because uh, it's wartime, so he had to go off, so he couldn't give his statement. Um, uh, Martha Zura... Uh, she did identify Christos Giorgio, but because she'd only seen him from behind, obviously they couldn't use her testimony because that would have collapsed in court. They would have said, you recognise him, but only from behind. It's like, how does that even help us? Uh, Ellen Bennett, who was the receptionist at the Queensbury, she failed to pick him out of a lineup. Um, and then Alwyn Childs, uh, they said... Because uh, obviously he he a lot of the the cafes in the area are Greek Cypriot as well, um, do you know he's he's in fear for kind of his job and his life and things like that. Do you know he has to serve these communities and do you know people if people people aren't going to buy his milk off him because he dobbed on one of theirs, he's going to be out of business. Uh, so uh, he was asked to walk along the line of prisoners. Like this is this is not like today where you do it by video back then you, you're in a courtyard and there's a line of six people you have to walk down in front of these people and he refused to walk down the line and he just kept saying that he's not here he's definitely not here and the inspector was like no i need you to walk down the line and i need you to look at every single person to say whether he's here and he refused to walk he was like he's definitely not here um in terms of the no the, there was as mentioned there was no knife found at the scene um uh, Christos said that he threw it in Charlotte Street, which is kind of uh, over in Fitzrovia. It's a couple of roads north, but it wasn't found. He he actually said, at one point he said that he handed it to someone. At another point he said he threw it in the street, but it could never be found. Uh, they searched a lot of the drains and the bombed out premises, but they really couldn't find anything. Uh, and that was it. There was another guy who said um, that Christos was in the Dominion Theatre at the time. And that a film started at 3pm and he was sitting in there uh, with a lame man called Dick. That's the exact words. A lame man called Dick. Uh, Christos uh, for a while said that that's where he was. He was in the cinema. He clearly wasn't and they never found out who Dick was. So uh, there's a lot of bullshit going on there. 
Um, the story's a lot more complicated than that, but I'm not going to bore you with it because it just goes on and on for bloody ages. So uh, let's do let's do those questions, and then I can have my tea. Oh, oh look, tea time. Mm. Oh yes, a nice tetley tea with one sugar and some powdered milk. Yummy. It's like wartime all over again. Right, let's do the answers to the questions. Uh, question number one: What was Savas's middle name? Believe it or not, his middle name was Christos. Question two: What was Christos's middle name? He didn't have one. He didn't have a middle name, uh, as far as we know. Uh, but people did used to call him Treehouse. I didn't put that in the episode because it confuses things as well. Uh, and I can't seem to find uh, uh, what what Trias means either, which is very annoying. Question three: What jobs did both men do in the merchant navy? Answer: They were cooks. Hence, they set up a cafe. Uh, question four: Which city in Cyprus did they both come from? Answer: Is the capital city of Nicosia. Question five: Which three places? Did both men live in Britain? Answer. London, Cardiff and Southampton. Question six. Who was the policeman who was first to attend the scene of the murder? That was PC George Newman. Question seven. What gold items did Savas have on him when he was stabbed? There were three items. He had two gold lighters and a gold ring with a diamond in it. Question eight. Well, I've just the, 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 this was in uh, the the thing we've just done, so that's fine. Hopefully, you've all got this one. What was the name of the girlfriend that they shared? I.e., both had at the same time. Uh, that sounds even worse. Uh, her name was Peggy. Inverted commas. Although we don't know what her name really is. Question nine, formerly known as the Helvetia pub on Old Compton Street, what is it called today? I don't think I put this in the episode. I'm not going to check because that's a waste of time. It's now called Bar Soho. Uh, question ten, which gangster was shot playing pinball not far from this location? And that is Alfredo Zomparelli. You can go back to the uh, episode of Alfredo Zomparelli and the Golden Goose. And you can see how stupidly he was murdered. This is why I hate gangsters, because they're freaking stupid. Oh, and they're full of bullshit as well. Right, that's that done. Hope you all enjoyed that. I've got some serious donut to do. Yum, donut time. Yeah, get it, get in my belly. And a cup of tea, and then I'm going to edit this. And then hopefully try and go for a little walk, as long as it's not piddling down. Anyway. That's that. Hope you're all well and safe and and hunkering down and doing the things you need to do and keep yourself happy because we don't know how long this is going to go for all this all this rubbish. So uh, keep yourself mentally focused and uh, keep a keep a good routine. That's why I'm glad I've got this. It, this keeps my routine and then I I make sure I do all my other things as well to keep my brain active because if you sit if you sit there just going I'm going to complete Netflix you're not really doing anything and also your brain is festering keep yourself busy because this could go on for a year maybe two years could be three years we don't know so keep busy keep happy keep active uh speak to you all soon lots of love stay safe bye bye imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.